Right now in the domestic market, we are 10% behind 2023 on a year-over-year basis and a whole 36-37% behind where we were at this point in 2019. We've been warning this would be a tough year so far. And listen, the performance that we're seeing right now, even without having an, an avatar helping you in the first quarter, we're 10% behind 23. We've been predicting since the beginning of the year, we would finish 10 to maybe 15%, worst case scenario, 15% behind 2023. This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Daniel Luria, the editorial director of Box Office Pro, the pulse of theatrical exhibition. This week, joined by my colleague and co-host, Rebecca Polly, deputy editor of Box Office Pro. And we'll be tackling a couple of topics on the podcast this week, not only going through the disappointing box office numbers here that we've had throughout the month of January and what we can expect from February in the market, but we'll also be going into rumors that Tesla, the automaker, is planning to build a drive-in theater in Los Angeles. We dive into those rumors right after our analysis segment. Rebecca, welcome back. How was your weekend? What did you watch? Didn't get out to see anything at the cinemas just because there wasn't really much to see, as uh, as we know, and as we'll discuss in a few minutes from now. So yeah, just caught up on some Netflix. I watched the Mike Flanagan limited series, the whole The Fall of the House of Usher, the one that he did based on Poe stories. Okay. That's there. Mike Flanagan reliably, aside from the, you know, the Scorsese's and the like obvious prestige directors who they have, he's uh, one of the few directors who I think is actually delivering good content to Netflix these days. All right. So you would recommend that at, at the oh, very yeah. least. Oh, yeah. No, he did the uh, he did the limited series adaptations of The Haunting of Hill House, of The Turn of the Screw. Yeah, he's he's good for uh, for any fans of gothic horror stuff as I am. I haven't been watching anything, to be perfectly honest. You've been watching I, I, your child I, and making sure they're okay. Yeah, so. Basically. <laughs> but even professionally, I mean, our job is to stay up to date, watch things. I haven't been able to make time to go catch the Mean Girls musical. I'm really looking forward to, to seeing that in theaters. Uh, we'll be going into that box office performance in a bit. But even beyond that, television, you know, I'm not an NFL guy. NFL is in playoffs. I'm not really watching that. Not too many shows, even on a streaming basis. I did catch uh, the entirety of Benny Safdie and Nathan Fielder's The Curse on Showtime. Okay, okay. The one with the stone? I liked it. Yeah, I'm I'm a big Safdie's fan, and and I think Fielder does some interesting things with the TV medium. I would recommend it. It's definitely worth a watch. I'm interested to see what comes next, I think, from from the Safdie side of that conversation theatrically. As you know, I'm a huge fan of movies like Heaven Knows What, Good Time, I absolutely loved. Uncut Gems, not not as much as the others, but we're, we're in this weird phase right now where you have great creative filmmakers dabbling in both streaming, linear TV, and, and, and theatrical. Like you said, you've got someone there on, on the Netflix side making good horror adaptations. There's something for everyone, but it just seems like a weird time. The weather is dreary, at least here in New York it is, and there's really nothing to get excited about to say, hey, I can't wait to see this. It feels like uh, there's a bit of a gray fog over everything these days. I don't know. It's just January is an odd, an odd one. Though I, I forgot to mention, Eric and I did over the weekend sit down and rewatch RRR 
and we spent a good chunk of the time just reminiscing about how it was to see in theaters. <laughs> like, oh, this scene, when this happened, like the audience lost their mind. You know, that was, uh, that was a good experience. That's a good co-watch. I would never rewatch that alone. No, absolutely not. I think that's a good shout. But yeah, unfortunately, we have to talk about a very slow weekend at the box office. And we've had several slow weekends at the box office. Let's go into what happened last weekend before we go into what's coming up. This weekend, with uh, Argyle coming out from Apple and Universal handling the theatrical distribution, we've also got some event cinema to discuss. But real quick, before we get to the new releases, let's talk about everything that happened. And unfortunately, it wasn't much. The fourth weekend of 2024 being the slowest overall weekend at the box office since September 22 to 24th of 2023. Yikes, not great results here. Uh, photo finish for first place. It's We don't have the final tallies yet, but it's between Mean Girls in Weekend 3 and Jason Statham, Action Flick, The Beekeeper, also on Weekend 3. They both made $7 million plus. Give or take, we'll find out who ends up on number one and number two place. After that, we've got Wonka with just under $6 million. Wonka, a nice hit, I think, for Warner Brothers, up to $195 million domestically. Migration limping through that $100 million mark at the box office with a $5.1 million weekend, ending now at $101.2 million domestic. And in fifth place, hanging on, I got to tell you here, anyone but you, but I believe opened to $6 million over the Christmas corridor, now up to $71.1 million. Crosses that uh, rom-com with uh, Julia Roberts and George Clooney. What was the name of it? Ticket to Paradise. Ticket to Paradise. They, they screened that at the Geneva Convention. Right. Last year. Yeah, yeah, this, I mean, this anyone but you, it's, uh, it's kind of flown under the radar. It certainly didn't open huge, but it, like Wonka, you know, it's, it's really holding on in those cheese weeks. I imagine it cost a heck of a lot less to make than Wonka did. So I think it was definitely a risk and a marketing challenge for Sony when it comes to releasing this film. You have the two leads haven't really starred in much movie-wise just themselves before this. Marketing was uh, made more difficult over last year, certainly because of the strike situation. And yeah, I mean, R-rated rom-coms have been hit or miss, to put it lightly. So I think we can definitely, even though it's not, you know, a very snazzy explosions and unicorns, you know, result for this film, I can think we can definitely say that it's an unqualified success at this point. But can we call Sydney Sweeney a movie star yet? She's a TV star, she's a celebrity, but is she a bona fide movie star? I think the potential's there, but the project hasn't shown up. Now, she does feature in Sony's upcoming Madame Web, and that's coming up on February 14th, I think Valentine's Day weekend, that, that movie comes out. Sydney Sweeney isn't really in the marketing materials that I've seen so far. I'm just very confused looking at the success of anyone but you. It's the same studio that's releasing Madam right? Web. It's not like they would be promoting another studio's movie. It's all Sony. It's And I saw a picture of Madame Web at one of the showcase locations in the Bronx here last week. It was just a big close-up of like Dakota Johnson's face, big close-up of her. 
and no real information on who else is there, what's going on. Yeah, I'm getting a little bit nervous on that coming out. You would think that Sony would just go all in on Sydney Sweeney for that marketing campaign there. But we'll see. I think there's a great potential for this actress to find the right movie to shoot up to become an A-list movie actress. I'm just not sure when that's going to happen. I mean, what is the star-making vehicle now? It would be glib to say the post-superhero movie universe because, you know, the superhero movie, I think, we can't put the nail in that coffin yet. I mean, I think that's, it's reductive to say that. But they certainly, let's say, do not have the star-making power that they did in the early days of the MCU with, you know, the various acting Chris's of the world. So, yeah, what, what does a star-making property really even even look like these days. I guess I guess uh, we'll know when we see the first one. And we should ask Glenn Powell as well, who's her co-star in Anyone But You, another actor that's at the cusp of becoming an A-list movie yeah. star. He's not there yet. He shot the stardom, I think, thanks in large part through Top Gun Maverick and that great supporting performance he had. And everybody wants some. I loved him in that. He stood out. He's one who's like been standing out in supporting roles. And he just hasn't had that star-making leading man role. Mm -hmm. And anyone but you, I'm glad it's doing as well. So this $71 million, great. It's, it's a success. I'm not sure if it's the type of movie that these two stars become maximized in or basically fulfills their potential as, as actors. I don't know what that looks like, though. You're absolutely right. It's not like I'm not asking for them to be cast in – a Batman movie or like, you know, a running superhero movie. I, I have no idea what that movie is, but you do have to wonder how much something like the actor strike really hit those two stars in their potential of following up that success with something else. Because Sydney Sweeney has now a superhero movie that nobody knows she's in and Glenn Powell, there's a couple movies coming out, but nothing there. Then again, I do have to say this last year at this point, we'd be saying the same thing about Jonathan Majors. We'd be, not, to, not to infer anything, but in late January of 2023, you'd be saying, hey, Jonathan Majors just coming out of Sundance with Magazine Dreams. That's going to be an award season conversation. Creed is coming out. You've got uh, Quantum Mania. And then, <laughs> nope, nothing. So you always have to be careful with these things. You never know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm glad that anyone but you is performing so well. But it's that actor strike that just came in a really awkward spot for these two stars to follow that up with something. I think there's going to be an awkward gap. Our audience is still going to be interested. I, mean, I think I, big missed opportunity so far from Sony on that Madame Web advertising. Let's talk a little bit about that Oscar bump because we saw that this weekend. This is the real story of the box office weekend. Not the top five that we just went through, but everything else that following the Oscar nominations that came out uh, last Tuesday got to have an expansion in the market and got to have people going to see like, hey, let's check this out. It was nominated for Best Picture, nominated for Best Actor, Actress. Poor Things going up 43% from one weekend to the next after a 900 increase in its location count. A great performance here from the Searchlight Pictures. I don't know if we should call it a drama, a comedy. There's no genre here that we can nail down for a movie as wonderfully wacky as a this. A weirdo masterpiece. Let's, uh, weirdo let's, masterpiece. Put, let's put that on the Blu-ray cover. 24.7 million so far theatrically for Poor Things. That's fantastic. A $3 million weekend all in all for Poor Things. 
after those nominations came in. Right below it in seventh place was American Fiction, a 65% week-over-week improvement, a 2.9 million total here. Also increased about 852 locations from one weekend to the next. But if we're looking, Daniel, at percentage increases, uh, let's direct our attention uh, down a few spots to Godzilla minus one. Excuse me, Rebecca, you mean Oscar-nominated Godzilla minus one? Oscar-nominee Godzilla minus one, and well-deserved. That is an Oscar bump, by the way, whether we would like to admit it or not. In spot number 10, I mean, it's got to, it's got to have put on some more people's radar, like, oh, what the hell? There's a new Godzilla movie that it's already out that it's in theaters that is clearly good enough to get a visual effects nomination. Toho International definitely leaping on that, adding around 1,500 screens, uh, bringing the screen count up to just about 2,000, got into the top 10 in its ninth week. So yeah, I think a great the, performance for, for Godzilla minus one now up to 55 million domestically. That's a word of mouth hit. So you're seeing these movies that we keep on saying we really need the movies that can make around 60, 80 to 100 million. We have those. We needed them. We can't forget the blockbusters. We can't go one quarter with a tentpole, one quarter without one. I know that the pre-sales for Dune Part 2 opened last weekend, and I heard great things. I know AMC was having a hard time keeping up with demand on its website. Fantastic results on pre-sales from a lot of exhibitors we spoke to. That's great. We have to wait a whole month for that to come out. And then to round out the rest of the holdovers here with an Oscar bump, a great little bump here for Origin, a 77% week-over-week increase with a $1.4 million haul. We've got Oppenheimer now on week 28 of theatrical release, finishing its latest frame just under $1 million, putting the domestic total to $328.1 million for Oppenheimer. Wonderful, wonderful result. I'm really excited for for, for Tenet to be put back in theaters for IMAX because I never actually saw Tenet. Right. And this is the right time to do that, right? Good idea from Warner Brothers. You lose Christopher Nolan. He's back in the conversation right now with his latest film that came out through Universal. Tenet re-release coming out soon. Oppenheimer ends up basically this last weekend just shooting back into around 1,200 screens after being largely missing from the market. Getting a million dollars from that, not a bad deal. And then a little bit further down, you've got titles like The Holdovers, which is widely available now on streaming. That also goes through a theatrical re-release at over 1,200 locations, makes about half a million dollars, closer to that $20 million benchmark domestically. I'm a big fan of that movie. And Zone of Interest also up 142% from A24, definitely challenging subject matter for a movie, but it got that Oscar bump as well. Yeah. And then finishing up here, the list, you had uh, another big re-release into theaters from Killers of the Flower Moon, the Martin Scorsese film that is in the Best Picture race, and Justine Triet's Anatomy of a Fall, the French language courtroom drama that, again, is also part of the Best Picture race. Both those movies rushing back into theaters, both of them getting a little bit over $200,000. So as much as we'd like to make fun of the Academy Awards, they're still relevant. This Oscar bump is real. And they're not the Golden Globes. They actually no, are relevant, relevant, you know? <laughs> they, they, they actually are relevant. And we have right here in front of us, based on last weekend, which was a slow weekend, like we said, the slowest weekend since September 2023, 
the biggest bright spots were the movies rushing back into re-release in theaters because of those nominations. It's good. It's the viability of what the Academy Awards can bring. Whether people watch them or not, they still serve an important purpose in the industry. Yeah, I just hope that that bump, Daniel, continues for another weekend or two because uh, coming out this upcoming weekend, uh, we have a familiar thing to say so far in 2024. We have not much. (laughs) Coming out from, it's actually an Apple original films title that's being released theatrically by Universal Pictures, Argyle, a sort of comedy spy caper uh, from Matthew Vaughn that that looks incredibly similar to the Kingsman movies, of course, Vaughn also directing those. That coming out to cinemas, we are predicting for the opening weekend, uh, 20 to 30 million for a total run of 65 to 105 million. Again, this is something that it's not going day and date, but we don't really know when it is going to pop up on Apple. I mean, it is an Apple film. So that, as always, you know, makes it a little bit more more complicated for us to do forecasting. But we are looking at, at a 20 to 30 million opening. And then, Daniel, there is, I think, as close to what we can call a blockbuster coming out on the event cinema side of the equation. That's right. That is the... Streaming series The Chosen, uh, a religious title that has done great business for Fathom Events in the past. This is like a bulk of episodes, right, Rebecca? Like three episodes? What is it a season premiere? It's, a season, it's the first three episodes of season four. And I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that there's already a release date set for future, you know, further episodes in season four there. I don't know how exactly they're splitting it up. But yeah, Daniel, as as we noted before we started recording this week, it's kind of tough to do forecasting for event cinema releases. Yeah. Because the numbers just aren't as consistently delivered as as they are with non-event cinema releases. But I mean, I think it's safe to say that the chosen theatrical releases in the past have been a big hit for Fathom. And I think uh, probably, uh, along with other faith-based releases, a big reason that they are really leaning very hard into the faith-based audience now. Yeah. So we've got that. And you mentioned Argyle also coming out this weekend. Those are probably going to be the two big draws in the market. Beyond that, not really much to say in terms of industry news. Sundance is wrapping up and we haven't really seen much in terms of sales. Super Bowl weekend is coming up, so that's always a quiet one, but I do think, you know, you have the kind of teen girl oriented Lisa Frankenstein movie coming out that weekend. It looks like it's uh, kind of specifically designated as a sort of counter programming, you know, you don't care about football. You need something to sure. do. Go see Lisa yeah. Frankenstein. I, I hope it's just, I mean, it's a smart strategy. It's one that's worked before. So fingers crossed there. Who's distributing that? I- that's going to be focus features on Lisa Frankenstein. Yeah. Uh, hopefully it works out right now in the domestic market. We are 10% behind 2023 on a year over year basis and a whole 36, 37% behind where we were at this point in 2019. We've been warning this would be a tough year so far. And listen, the performance that we're seeing right now, even without having an an avatar helping you in the first quarter, we're 10% behind 23. We've been predicting since the beginning of the year, we would finish 10 to maybe 15%, worst case scenario, 15% behind 2023. 
Right now, we're about 10% behind the pace from last year. That's around where we thought we'd be. So I know it seems dreary. And it's January. Yeah, it's January. It's around where we expect it to be. So I don't want to create unnecessary alarm here. Because when we say, you know, we're underperforming by, you know, approximately 10%, what have you, the films that are coming out are on balance performing according to or over, in some cases, you know, estimates. It's just that we don't have enough films. That's always been the refrain that we've been repeating uh, since theaters, you know, reopened back in 2020-2021. But it is only January. Like it is a fallow month of the movie theaters. It always has been. We are going to start seeing more releases come into theaters starting around Daniel as you mentioned around Dune mid-February. Hopefully we'll be able to along with that and other films uh, on the release calendar will be able to make up some ground. That's what we're hoping. And really, I think the only story left to talk about are these rumors that we've been hearing. Not really rumors, it's confirmed. Tesla, the automaker, they make electric vehicles uh, worldwide. I mean, when I say Tesla, I think everybody knows what I'm talking about at this point. But listen, from someone that's right now trying and failing to find a way to buy a car. I live in New York City. I've lived in New York City since I was in my early 20s. I've never had to buy a car. I need to now because I have a kid mm-hmm. and I'm trying to figure it out. It's impossible. It's really if, difficult. If, if, if anyone York, has any tips, please, please email Daniel. If anyone has a car, I might even just buy it from you. Yes. But no, it's been surprisingly difficult. So I'm, I'm looking a lot into car culture around, do I get an electric vehicle? Do I not? One of the things, one of the details about getting a car here in New York is we all live in apartments. Most of us live in apartments. If you're lucky enough to have a parking spot, you're probably not going to have an electric outlet in that parking spot to charge an EV, meaning you have to become very well acquainted with your electric charging stations all over the city, you know, in a close driving distance. It's not that easy when you think about those logistics about owning an electric vehicle. Now, this is a problem that Tesla, the automaker, has had for a long time. And to address that in a market like Los Angeles, they have the permits. This is happening. It is being built as we speak. They are putting up in Los Angeles a restaurant and a drive-in theater concept. Now, it's important I say the word concept. Just because they're building A drive-in theater space does not mean by any stretch of the imagination that Tesla, which just had its earning call last week and did not mention any plans of going to exhibition, does not mean that Tesla is going to become an exhibitor. We've had this issue before. Yeah, any more than during the pandemic, the people who were maybe putting up a, a sheet on the side of a building and projecting films, those were not the term that our friends at, uh, at Udatoa like to use, the authentic drive-in. This is, this is not what we're talking about. Basically, they're building a space that looks like a drive-in, but let's step back and, and mm-hmm. again, because I get very annoyed sometimes when we talk about the tech ex machina, right? That mm-hmm. the tech overlords are going to come in and invest all this money into movie theater space. They're not. They're not. It's just no, not going to happen. All right. Let's just well, let's yeah. let's make that very clear. There's not going to be a bag of money from a tech no. player that's going to come in and invest in exhibition. There's going to be just as much money as to create whatever sort of release or building or anything that they need to promote their product as much as they want to promote it. Yeah, and that, that's it. It's marketing. It's marketing. And if you look at, and you mentioned the pandemic, Rebecca, because that's the, the easiest comparison we have here based on the information that's available right now. During the pandemic, Walmart put up in their parking lots pop-up drive-ins. 
Walmart did not buy into the exhibition business. Walmart is not a drive-in exhibitor. They probably did what they did to get their name in local news outlets, to get people used to coming back to Walmart again. It worked out for people that wanted to go to Walmart. It wasn't a long-term investment for Tesla. So let's just step back and look at what this really can mean from a logistical level, because it's exciting when you say, oh, there's permits for Tesla to build a drive-in. That makes perfect sense. Just step back and listen to me. Just listen from a very simple consumer usage standpoint. Someone like myself that needs to find a way to charge their electric vehicle, that can't do it at home, has to drive 20 to 30 minutes around New York City to park their car and sit in that car 45 to 90 minutes while it's being charged. Now, granted, a lot of electric vehicle chargers are in places like supermarkets. I know our friends at Park VIP install them outside of movie theaters. Some of them are installed by a coffee shop, one of my favorite coffee shops in Austin, Texas, Easy Tiger, right next to the Austin Film Society Cinema, has some Tesla chargers right outside of it. That makes sense, right? You're charging 45, 90 minutes, you go have a coffee, right? By the way, if you leave your car charging too long, at a charging station, you get billed a penalty per minute. Because you're is hogging idle and it. Taking up that because you're hogging it. Yeah, <laughs> my brother has a has a Tesla. He's had one for a few years, and yeah, we have to you know taking tricks to see the parents and whatnot. You know, you build that time into the schedule of you know we're going to go sit in the parking lot of uh, the local university for a couple of minutes to get a charge. We're going to go through uh, through Asheville because there's a supercharger there. I mean, I think, I mean, LA is so car culture-y and everyone's so used to driving there that I have to think, I mean, it makes more sense certainly than than something here in New York. Oh, it's a, it's a fantastic concept, right? You go, there's a restaurant there, there's like drive-in screens, a setup. But do you think anyone in their right mind would go with an electric vehicle? pay an admissions price to charge their car. So someone that's paying a $15, $18 ticket to no. watch a movie, maybe half a movie to charge their car and then drive away halfway through the movie, that makes zero sense. You have a screen literally in your car. I think as long as the car's <laughs> off, it lets you watch Netflix or something. like. No, well, yeah. What, what will likely happen is that these screens will enter some sort of licensing agreement to play most likely without charging admission to play video content, promotional content, commercials, maybe even license, I don't know, some sort of like sports center deal, ESPN deal. The kind of thing that you see in taxi cabs here in New York. Absolutely. Or think of it in terms of your local bar. Your local bar will have a TV in the corner. That doesn't mean it's a movie theater. That doesn't mean it's charging you admission to watch a movie. No, they'll have something on the screen to entertain you while you drink a beer. Mm -hmm. It I means I have Tesla's a captive audience and somebody is trying to sell something to you. That's what it means. Bye. Doesn't that make a lot more sense? Put up advertising in those massive drive-in-like screens for 45 minutes instead of getting into the exhibition business, charging people 15 to 18 bucks to watch 30 minutes of a movie while you supercharge? No. I'm sorry, I'm not buying it. I mean, granted, we have seen Elon Musk make a lot of weird, bad decisions these past few years, but this, this would not make any sense. And this would be the weirdest yet. I can understand why you're building it, and it is getting built. It looks like a drive-in, but that doesn't mean it's what our friends in the drive-in business would call an authentic drive-in. I don't even think it's going to be an operational drive-in. I think it's going to be a place where you can order a cheeseburger and watch some commercials that Tesla's going to pay for time on the screen while you charge your car. And by the way, that's a great idea. 
That's a really good idea. The worst idea in terms of someone driving an electric vehicle is driving to a Tesla hub, paying 20 bucks to watch 30 minutes of a movie, and then leaving with that $20 premium, having watched a third of The Beekeeper. That makes zero sense when you look at what can appeal to not only consumers, but moviegoers and and electric vehicle drivers. I'm not buying this for a second, Rebecca. It wasn't mentioned at all in in the earnings call that Tesla had last week. It just, it seems extremely, extremely unlikely. Why in the world would you build something that makes it more difficult to access a charge? No, just make it a restaurant, order a cheeseburger, order a Coke, order some fries, watch some commercials, watch some clips that they've licensed from a dumb TV show and get out of there. That's the best way to spend those 45 to 90 minutes. And if you do get into exhibition, you do the film splits, you do the deals, you play by the rules like everybody else. (laughs) That's exactly why I don't think this would make sense for either Tesla or moviegoers, period. But listen, if it's a way that we can promote the concept that drive-ins are still around, that they can exist, That'd be great. I think the best thing we can say about this Tesla drive-in concept, not that it's a drive-in, it's not, it's not. But maybe someone that goes says, hey, wouldn't it be cool to watch an entire movie like this? Wouldn't it be cool to go to an actual drive-in? And I think that's where the benefit is. It's not something that Tesla is giving the world, giving the universe. I don't think Tesla is going to start buying up drive-ins or building new drive-ins wherever they pop up. No, but I think a concept like this, even if it expands, can get people curious, saying like, hey, I had a good time doing this. I'd like to do it again. So I think that's probably going to be the biggest upside we have on something like this. It remains to be seen that complex over in Los Angeles currently being built. I believe it's uh, slated to open later this year. Danny, you've actually inspired me here to go to Utatoa's AuthenticDriveIn.com and see what drive-ins are left in California. Six of them, six still in California. And I'm going to say, if you want to go to a drive-in, don't go to the Tesla one. That's not a drive-in. Go to a real drive-in. www.authenticdriveins.com. You can find some great authentic drive-ins there, people that are in the exhibition business, people that have been in the business for decades that know how to run drive-ins the way they're meant to be run. Go check it out. There's drive-ins all over the nation. Great, great resource for our friends that are still interested in that sort of activity. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for uh, bringing in your insights this week. The Box Office Podcast will be back with another episode next week. New episodes release every Thursday. Thank you again for listening, and we'll catch you again next time.